you have your Bibles, you can open to Ephesians. Ephesians. Chapter 4, and we'll go pretty much be sticking with Ephesians chapter 5 today. Now, before we get to God's Word, I, I want to pray. Um, I want to pray specifically for um, our friend Kathy LaFoon, who is in... Um, in uh, Nashville right now, I just got a text that uh, she she was sick and and uh, kind of fell fell over in our church service out there. So could you? Uh, she was out here ministering to us uh, last month, and I want I want all of us, all of us to uh, to pray for the Lafoon family. Lord, we we thank you for Kathy. We thank you for the legacy that she lives out, having tapped into your goodness and the power that flows through her. And we ask for healing and sustaining in her body. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Ephesians, pretty much in Ephesians 5. We'll go Ephesians 4.32 through 5, verse 8, all right? B kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, verse 1 says, as beloved children, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time, you were darkness, but now you are Light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you be seated and we can pray together? Lord, please add a blessing, supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. Help us today to be secured in who you are and therefore whose we are, so that we can live and love and walk in love, in your love, and reflect your light and displace the darkness of our past, of our habits, of the world around us, for your glory. Amen. 
Amen. If you're visiting, my name is Peter, and I say to everyone, new family, uh, old family, welcome again to the Springs. Uh, Today, we are going to continue on in our study of the book of Ephesians, even as we start a new series, a brand new series, preaching series called In Love. In Love. We're going to be going through the rest of the book of Ephesians, talking about how when we're secure in the love of God, it affects our other relationships. Now, the next few weeks, we're uh, leading into uh, the Valentine's celebration. We're going to be talking about how the love of God really is reflected in marriage and Paul's teaching on marriage from the end of chapter 5. But we're going to start today at the start of chapter 5. Who here wants to be in love? All right? If you say, well, that's not me, well, you're a liar. You're not in love, you're in lie. We all want to be in love. The problem is, is we can have short-lived substitutes for those things. God wants you to be in love with a capital L, the capital love. He wants us to be secured under the blessing of his transcendent, transformational love. And to never be the same again. We're to walk in a newness of life secured in his love. Covered by, controlled by, fueled by his love. And it changes the way we live our lives and walk amongst one another. All of us are in one way or another in submission, if you will, to some sort of relational order uh, or positional structures in work or at home. But more of us, church, need to be and to walk in love, controlled by, captivated by, strengthened by, a kind of love that will never leave you and never forsake you unlike anything else, is the love of Christ that is here today. So I want to walk a little bit deeper into this passage that we read. We're going to go verse by verse. It builds on itself well, and we're going to go back through it. And as we do, I have a few points that as we go through the, the, the passage, I have a few points to, to make to communicate what I want to say to us. Our first verse is verse 32 of chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I'm going to spend most of my time on this verse because it sets us up to be secure in the, the, foundationally in the rest of what he commands through Paul. My first point that I'm going to make is you will give out forgiveness if you've received it within. You will give out forgiveness if you've received it within. When we gain the forgiveness of God, we gain all of God's forgiveness and not part of it. Turn to your neighbor and say, all of it. 
Turn back to the neighbor who just said that and say, that's right, not part. All of it. Thanks for helping me preach. When we receive forgiveness, we, re- we receive not just the debt that we owe of forgiveness, we receive the whole nature of forgiveness. We receive the release for the forgiveness that we need, and we receive the ministry of forgiveness for what others need from us. Everything comes with it. We get all of God's forgiveness. Now let's start with what we need. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The King James Version says, as God for Christ's sake forgave you. We need to understand why we need forgiveness in the first place so that we can receive it and we can be tapping in to his well of forgiveness and become springs of forgiveness to others around us. Why do we need forgiveness? Because we are born into a rebellion. Verse 6 later says we are sons of disobedience. We take upon the nature of the enemy as we participate in sin. We need forgiveness. We've infinitely sinned against God and Jesus lives an infinitely pure life, which alone qualifies him and no one else to be a purifier of those like you and me who are born impure. And he comes and purifies those who are by nature and by choice his enemies. And he comes to bring forgiveness because he pays the penalty of what we uh, have earned, the punishment that we have earned, he pays that to our account so that we can be forgiven our penalty. He, he doesn't just speak it away like, oh, it's, you know, I'll forget about it. He, he makes it known that he alone is able to pay the bloody debt of our sin. I've heard someone say, on the cross is where the justice and the mercy of God collide. God is just. He doesn't just overlook sin. He pays for it. And he pays for our forgiveness. And he is an infinitely holy person, this Jesus. And so that's why it says, for Christ's sake, the sake of what he pays, we can be forgiven. And when we receive forgiveness, we receive all of that which Christ has paid for. If you are like me and you like to kind of play with English words, you should. Let me put it this way. Forgiveness is forgivenness and forgivingness. It's both receiving the forgiveness that I need and taking on the new nature of the one who calls me forgiven. My new name is forgiveness. It's who I am now. Forgiveness is the inseparable fusion of me becoming from an enemy of God to becoming an eternal object of God's forgiveness and an eternal instrument of God's forgiveness. It's not separated. And so therefore, when someone sins against me, 
I am named forgiveness in Christ for Christ's sake. And when someone sins against me, I can forgive them, not, not as a product of their forgivableness, but as a product of my forgiveness. Even if they don't deserve it, especially when they don't deserve forgiveness any more than I did. It's who I am. It's the new nature I take on. Imagine you owe someone a million dollars. And we have to think hypothetically because that's such a big number, but even that number is not comparable to our actual debt. But let's just imagine. And you, owe, you live in a country without insurance claims. You know, like uh, you burn down a building. You were responsible for taking care of it. It's, an, it's a million-dollar building. You live in a country where it's not just a, oh, it's an insurance company that will take care of it. You owe a debt of a million dollars that you are unable to pay. By some means, you're able to kind of get some loans and, and place money through your account to the account of the building owner. And you are unable to pay that loan back. It's impoverishing you. It changes the nature of how you act. It makes you deplete in how you treat other people and how you spend your money. You live in fear. Then you get a call from the building owner. And she says to you, I've forgiven your debt and I've placed in your account the amount that I wanted to forgive. You look in your account expecting Wow, this is going to be a million dollars. I can pay this bank back now. You look in your account, and it's a billion dollars. And for those of you like me who struggle with math, that's a thousand million. And you think, that, that must be a mistake. You call the building owner, and she says, uh, yeah, I, I decided to forgive your million-dollar debt with a billion dollars. That was my decision. And you, being prideful like me, say, no, no, I just want the million dollars forgiven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you a transaction to make sure that everything extra is taken back. And she says to you, I will not authorize anything less than everything I've put in your account. She says, I gave you the whole amount that I intended to give you for what you burned down of mine, and it's more than enough for when others burn down your stuff, infinitely more than enough. When God gives you his forgiveness, you get all of God's forgiveness according to his account. Now this analogy is lacking at least because of this. Because a million dollars debt is chump change compared to what we owe God. By taking on the nature of his enemy and in agreement with, with God's enemy and what we do and what we say and what we think we have a right to do with our bodies. It's chump change compared. But the point is that when God gives me his forgiveness, I tap into the well of his forgiveness. So when others sin against me, what springs forth from me to them is a forgiveness that's sourced at the same well that I continually drink from. I have no right to drink just for me and not give to them. It's the same source. When God gives us his forgiveness, he gives us all his forgiveness. And we receive it all.
And so we can be, as it says here, tenderhearted. It's not a, it's not a vain command to us. He's speaking to those who've received infinite mercy and saying, be merciful, be tenderhearted. I can be tender towards those who are not tender with me because God was tender with me. That became my new nature because his tenderness has tenderized me. His forgiveness has made me forgiveness and forgiving. It's my new nature. It's my new name. And it's who you are. Church, you cannot go from being an unforgiven enemy of God to being forgiven and yet unforgiving nonetheless. You either remain unforgiving and unforgiven and still unforgiving or you become new and you become a new child who is forgiven and forgiving. It's both. You'll give out forgiveness if you've received it within. C.S. Lewis says, uh, he says, everyone loves, everyone thinks that forgiveness is a lovely idea, he says, until they have something to forgive. So as things go from our analogies that we've shared, all the way to the weight of debt that God has purchased for you and the weight of debt that others owe you. And it gets personal. How are you doing with this message so far? C.S. Lewis says everyone thinks the idea of forgiveness is lovely until they have something to forgive. And I would add, until they forget how much they're forgiven. You know, from my experience, when we have a struggle to forgive someone else who's sinned against us, often it's in areas that we haven't yet received the forgiveness of God in. Track with me here. Some of us, it's like, man, certain things that people do, it's easy to forgive that type of thing. But this thing, man, every time this happens to me, I struggle with. And I would argue that those categories that subconsciously play out in our mind are often areas that we currently struggle with. Why is that? It's because when I'm still carrying a guilt in myself, I'm more sensitive to those things. And thus, often, sadly, more merciless with people In those areas. And if you're struggling with unforgiveness with someone right now, I want to tell you that God is here and he has a name for you that he wants to place upon you and for you to never go back. He wants to call you and make you forgiven and forgiveness so that you would be an object and a source of his power and his mercy. If you're married in here and you have uh, an ongoing habit of holding grudges against your spouse, I'm concerned about your relationship with God. What is it that you haven't received from God? 
Where do you still need to be healed by Jesus? What guilt are you carrying around that you can allow the Holy Spirit right now to root out in you so that you can walk in new freedom? You'll give out forgiveness if you've received it within. Now this is most evident and most raw in marriage because if you're married in here, you know we give plenty of opportunities for our spouses to be forced to decide on this, right? I give lots of material to my wife for her to practice forgiveness. And if she just taps into uh, how well I'll treat her in response, it'll never be enough. But if she taps in to the well of Christ's forgiveness, she can love me without fear whether or not I'll take advantage of her love. You'll give out forgiveness if you've received it within. Now this plays out in all our other relationships as well. And the better that we can purposefully place ourselves in relationships, that we can offend one another in growth groups, in in real relationships with people, that we can purposefully get close enough to hurt each other and forgive one another, that's the best that will set ourselves up to walk in love. I've heard people say to me before, oh, Pastor Peter, you're all right. You don't bother me at all. And, And I'm always thinking, I hope we get to the point where I bother you a little bit because that means that we have a real relationship. And we go deeper and we're not just playing church. But that we have the real virtue of Christ that we can truly tap into. Amen? So let's carry on with our next verses. I told you that this is going to play out in this forgiveness. If we receive the forgiveness of Christ and become vessels of forgiveness, this is what releases us to walk out chapter 5. So here we go. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Number one, you'll give out forgiveness if you've received it within. Number two, you'll walk in love if that's who you are. You'll walk in in love, if that's who you are. But who are you? And what's, what's your name? If you're in Christ and you have faith in Jesus and you've turned from trusting in yourself to trusting in the Lord Jesus, then your name is beloved. You are loved. It's who you are. You're in love because that's your new nature and therefore that's how you walk out your life. That's what defines you more than your hobbies or your preferences. You are beloved. Remember, that's not who we were. Verse 6 goes on to say, We were darkness and sons of disobedience. But because of Christ's payment for us, we are beloved children. And therefore, we can walk out who we are. We can imitate our Father with our new nature. Now, most of you probably didn't wake up today and say, look in the mirror and say, all right, man, today 
you're going to be an imitator, right? Imitator is not typically like one of those words that we use to encourage each other. Like, hey, buddy, you're strong, bro. Yeah, yeah, thanks. You're an imitator, man, right? We, we kind of don't use that word to encourage each other. But let me point out the great difference between imitating someone in general and doing the entirety of what verse 2 says, verse 1 says, we are not just to imitate God, we are to imitate God as beloved children. Now this actually, this, this as beloved children brings an opposite meaning to what imitating means. Go with me here. If I imitate someone else, typically means that I'm trying to be something that I'm not, right? It's kind of what imitating means. But the the paradigm's completely opposite when we're talking about children. A child that imitates their parent is actually living out the nature that's inside them as they grow into that person in whose being they were made. That's what a child imitating a parent does. Before I knew God, I was kind of religious. My nature was fallen. I tried not to mistreat young women, but trying is lying. I tried not to manipulate people, but it was my nature to be normal and fallen and in enmity with God. And I went to church to, to, to try to be good and try to be a religious guy, you know, maybe once or twice, you know, every few months. But I was faking it. I didn't know any better. I was imitating someone I was not. And when the gospel was preached to me by uh, peers and friends, and the miracle that I'm still trying to figure out, that God changed me from the inside out, not because I tried harder one day, but because I placed my faith in Jesus, and by some miraculous power, a new nature was put in seed form on the inside of me. Since then... The fight to imitate God based on pivoting from my new nature has been the last two decades of my life. The adventure, the fight to imitate God. Not powerlessly like I'm trying to be someone I'm not, but I'm trying to walk in love in the same love that saved me and redefined me. And so I am who his word says I am, not what my culture says that I am, not what my guilt says that I am. And that reality is something I fight for in my marriage, in my relationships, in my work. I imitate my father with my new nature. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Some of y'all who don't know my wife very well might prejudge her a little bit and think, oh, Elise is just a soft-spoken, sweet, non-assuming woman, you know. That woman's fire. She is competitive. She didn't stop becoming competitive 15 years ago when she broke the Big 12 record in the 400 IM, which, by the way, if you know swimming, that is the pain threshold event. She still is very competitive. And so now we have a child, a four-year-old child named Alma, who is the clone of my wife, Elisa. I went to Alma's soccer game. She's just started to play soccer. I went to her soccer game 
last week at an indoor soccer place and she was running around the field running so hard someone steps on her hand and she's crying while running my other kids would just start crying and like go to the side so someone could kiss their boo-boo but Alma she's crying while running and just running around just trying her best because she has to win it's her nature right she just has to score a goal. So she goes and she scores a goal. And right when she scores it, it goes in and something like overwhelmed her. She like froze and turns around and walks back towards midfield like a shock on her face. And she looks at her hands and flexes like there's some supernatural power coming on her. She's just walking back. And I, the look on her face was so crazy because her face said, this is who I was made to be. <laughs> Like this shock, like, I think I'm alive now. (laughs) She is imitating her mom, but by her nature. Now, I'm hoping that she can more and more imitate the, the, the godly part of the competitive spirit and not lesser on the ungodly, unredeemed side of it. But it is her nature And so listen, when you, maybe your nature wasn't to forgive people. Maybe it wasn't in your nature. Maybe it wasn't in your family lineage to be a forgiving type of person. But you know what? You are not a grudge holder. The word of God is who you are. Maybe you don't see yourself as a tender-hearted person. You might say lies of yourself like, oh, I tell it like it is. And by that, you mean you're mean. No, that's not who you are if you know Christ. Your new nature is who God says you are. So when you reflect love in your loving and joy in your joyous and you overcome what rages against you to steal your joy and when you walk out peace and you, 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 things happen and, and you actually are patient for the first time. I hope that you have that same look on your face as I saw on my daughter Alma's face that you, you have like in faith, like green muscles popping out of your shirt, like this is who I was made to be. Because listen, in a very real way, when you forgive someone, when you're tender towards someone, when you walk in love, sourced in the same love that, that, that redeemed you before you were lovely, when you walk in this new nature, you're imitating your good God. That's who you are. And you bear fruit of your new nature as you fight against your old nature. You will walk in love if it is who you are. In fact, this new identity causing a new manner of life and behavior is exactly what the, the verses that we're talking about are founded on. If you back up a little bit, it says that you were taught, verse 22, to Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Anyone besides me know what that's like? And to be renewed by the spirit of your minds to put on a new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Not lies, not striving, not do your best, not turn over a new leaf, but created in true righteousness and holiness. And therefore, I can imitate a God who is really my own because he's made me 
his own. He's forgiven me. He's restored me. And he's not done with his work. And as I walk in his love, I'm founded on a greater power to live out and to reflect in my relationships and to project towards those who don't deserve it any more than I did. You'll walk in love if it's who you are. The new you can confess sin vulnerably to people in your growth group because you don't have to hide any longer. It's already been forgiven. It's already been paid for. And so when you're able to go to a growth group and just talk about what's real, you're bringing pleasure to God because you're saying to God, your forgiveness will speak a a better word than my guilt. That's who you are. You're someone who talks in a real way. You're not a shy person. You're not defined by anything else. You are forgiven. And when someone sins against you, why can you forgive them? Well, well, you might fight those old thoughts like, well, if I forgive them, that, that sets them up to sin against me again. You are not your protector. You're a new person in Christ and you have a better protector than yourself. Your own self-protection didn't work out for you anyway. You are a new beloved child and you can walk in the new freedom and the risks associated with it. It's an adventure of a new life. In fact, that's why these next several verses play out. These are, we're about to read some verses that, uh, that hit really hard, but founded on the love that we've received, we can live out this new nature and therefore say no to the old. Verse three, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper with saints. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a saint. Even down to verse five, it says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. You see, the new definition of who you are and identity leads to a renewed manner of life and therefore a rejection and a renouncement of the old. You'll give out forgiveness if you've received it within. You'll walk in love if it's who you are. Number three, finally, you'll displace darkness as you walk in light. If you know Jesus, if you're a child of God, your identity, including your sexual identity, is you're a saint. You're holy. He defines you with his love as it relates to the people you forgive, as it relates to the words you speak, as it relates to what you do with your body. That's who you are and that's how you live. That's who you are. And therefore, if we walk in the light of who God has made us to be at a high price, we will displace the darkness. Our new identity in Christ is what defines who we are. I suppose I stand in 
in tension with a lot of what our culture believes and preaches about sexuality. And if you know Jesus, you probably should. But it's not because we want to go back to rules from the 50s. It's not because we just want to be, you know, kind of more conservative. It's because the joy of the Lord and who we are in Christ and how we live in Christ as it relates to how we live in relationship or how we live sexually, it is true liberty and freedom. And one thing that I would agree with with most of what our culture believes is sexuality has less to do with simply behaviors and things like that, and it does have everything to do with identity, which is the whole reason why we can't confuse ourselves with the wrong identity. Our identity, if we're washed by Jesus, is forgiven, it's beloved, it's holy, it's set apart. He defines how I act in every way because that freedom is the only freedom that brings true liberty. Liberty to forgive, liberty to enjoy the gifts that God's given and to bring pleasure to him and pleasure that we see through him in our lives that never goes away. You'll displace darkness as you walk in light. Now, verse 4 is what was probably more convicting to me this week. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. I, I was convicted about this, that this week. Uh, I often like to tell jokes, and the, the word crude here, it is a subjective word, right? But I know when I'm displeasing the Holy Spirit through the jokes that I tell. And um, you know what's kind of crazy is this relates to the identity thing too, because I notice that when I tell jokes that are out of place, I'm also trying to be someone that I'm not. I'm trying to be the edgy guy. It says that this is out of place, the Christian Standard Version says, it is not suitable, meaning it's not fitting with how I've been suited in my new nature in Christ. And I don't have to try to be someone else. In fact, it says, don't do these things, it's out of place, instead let there be thanksgiving. I told men in my growth group this week that, that anytime I'm tempted to tell a joke that's out of place or not suitable, I'm going to do exactly what it says here. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. So I'm going to, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to tell that joke. That's kind of funny. Or, you know what? Instead, let me tell you, brother, one thing I'm thankful for you about. And I'm going to speak it. Now, y'all can hold me to it in my growth group or even if you're not in my growth group. Let there be thanksgiving, only that which builds up. That's who I am now. It's just taken me a few decades to walk out my new nature and to, to imitate my good God, who's a little funnier than me, too. And he's holy. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Verse 6 says, For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon who? The sons of disobedience. And that goes back to behavior stemming from nature and identity yet again. 
Why do sinners sin? Because they're sons of sin, daughters of sin. Sinners sin because they're sinners. Now that might seem like, wow, that's amazing. But I remember being a son of disobedience and trying not to disobey. But I couldn't disobey my own flesh. I couldn't, I couldn't say no. Even if God was saying, go here, I couldn't. I was by nature darkness. As verse 8 says, you were darkness. That was your old nature. But then it says, now you are light. So walk as children of light because that's who you are. Walk that way. If you try to walk out a nature that's a new nature, but a new manner of living, but you haven't been made new in your person, uh, it'll be fruitless and very discouraging at that. But if you've been made new and you have a new nature within you, but you're allowing habits from your old life, habits of worry or fear, sexual immorality, unforgiveness, any of these things that are not fitting with your new nature, it's confusing. And how many of y'all went into the new year and said, you know what, this year, I want to be confusing? No. No. Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Would you pray with me?